Microdosing with Siphmans, short podcasts on demystifying the business of psychedelics. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2, a regulatory issues discussion with our host, Zeifman's partner, Larry Zeifman. Enjoy. Hi there, I'm Larry Zeifman. I'm a partner at Zeifman's. Zeifman's a mid-sized accounting and business consulting firm in Toronto. And I'm delighted to welcome you back to another episode of Microdosing with Zeifman's, uh, where we talk about the business of psychedelics. And today we're really happy to have with us uh, two great guests, David Wood of BLG and Spencer Hawkswell of Theracil. So I'm going to let each of them uh, introduce themselves and we're going to start with David. Hey, thank you very much for having us, Larry. It's great to be here. I uh, So my name is David Wood. I'm a lawyer practicing from the Calgary office of Borden Ladner Gervais, and uh, I'm in the intellectual property group of BLG. I'm both a lawyer and a patent agent, and I've been uh, practicing with the firm since 2009. I'm a partner at BLG, and I'm the co-chair of our psychedelics and cannabis focus group, uh, which has been a, a very interesting uh, project inside the firm to be part of because uh, since about 2016, I w- when I first uh, was given medical access to cannabis, I've been enthusiastically marketing to the cannabis industry and uh, and built a significant practice in that space, uh, servicing that industry. And it's been a real privilege to have the perspective I've had on Canada's movement from prohibition to regulation of cannabis. Uh, working with uh, leaders in the field and watching interesting business plans evolve and and seeing all that come together as uh, as Canada took what I think everyone I mean although it seems you know just like the status quo now can agree uh, was a pretty significant step forward in uh, drug policy by turning cannabis into a consumer packaged good and it was about two and a half years after that arc of my career began when I had my first serious discussion with a client about psilocybin in late 2018. We're very fortunate to live in a country where a small number of individuals, both healthcare practitioners and patients, have been given uh, authorizations to possess psilocybin. And I'll, uh, with that, uh, pass it over to Spencer to introduce himself. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dave. Um, yeah, so my name is Spencer Oxfam. I'm the CEO at Theracil. Um, and uh, I guess it would make sense to start off with how Theracil uh, started. Um, so before all this, I was working in, in software uh, tech um, and essentially scaling small startup companies in, in Toronto. Um, and after a bit of traveling and soul searching, decided that you know um, my interests around psychedelic palliative care, um, addictions and just mental health in general and psychology is I think at the time when I was was traveling I was thinking I might go to school and become a psychologist everything kind of came together um, my mom is actually a, a palliative care nurse and upon conversation with her you know uh, just the the idea of having your mom blessing giving you the blessing to go into an industry where you're using psychedelic drugs to help people are dying uh, was was actually quite quite inspiring for me and, and was part of a much longer conversation that my mom and I have had about, about palliative care and mental health in general. Uh, so I went right to how am I going to start a certain organization, start, start a company around this. And it actually led me to finding Dr. Bruce Tobin, uh, a psychologist in Victoria, BC, who was taking the government to court over 
patients access to psilocybin, and specifically trying to set up a, a clinic called Theracil that would that would get access through Section 56 to psilocybin. And so I, I told them I'd, I'd come out to Victoria. Uh, this was in October of 2019, and uh, he he told me to come by, and we we decided we'd start fundraising for the legal challenge. Thanks, Spencer. So um, Spencer talked about sec- uh, Section uh, 56, um, and David, maybe you want to enlighten us a little bit about the the legal side of Section 56 and and how it's imp- it's impacting players in the industry. In Canada, like many countries, we are party to the single convention, uh, which is a narcotics control convention uh, put in place by the UN in 1961, and and it was modified by subsequent conventions in 1971 and 1988. The combined effect of those conventions is that member states uh, who are party to them are obligated to put in place certain laws that, that anyone, I think, at this point takes for granted because they were put into place so long ago, uh, prohibiting the use of what were originally called narcotics and then expanded to include something else called psychotropic substances, which would include psilocybin, LSD, and other psychedelics. And then, and then additional laws were put in place later uh, to control precursors. And there will be a series of schedules attached to this type of legislation, whichever country you're in. And those schedules list substances that are generally prohibited to possess without a medical reason. Now, some of these substances are already commercial products. Like, for example, morphine is used in hospitals every day and and many other opiates or other types of painkillers or benzodiazepines uh, and and actually also uh, anabolic steroids and uh, stimulants are also uh, in, in a category called controlled drugs in Canada, which can be sold to the population as can narcotics, which are narcotics are basically opiate-based painkillers, and uh, uh, ketamine is a narcotic. Um, If cocaine were used by a dentist, that would also be a narcotic. Um, So these are all drugs that are saleable and prescribable. And that means that there are mechanisms to access them through the, at the federal level, they're regulated as products, and at the provincial level, hospitals and pharmacies that sell them are regulated at the provincial level and by the ethical codes of professionals practicing in those places. Now, the types of controlled substances that can be provided as consumer packaged goods under the right circumstances are called narcotics, controlled drugs, or targeted substances. Those three categories exist as commercial products. There's a fourth category called restricted drugs, like Schedule 1 in the United States, our restricted drug schedule, which is part of the food and drug regulations, lists drugs that have no recognized medical use, like psilocybin. So in Canada, if you want to study a drug that you can't otherwise access, that type of research is, is valuable and it's important. And, and you need to possess restricted drugs to see what they do when you expose them to these systems. So anyone working under doing that kind of research would apply to the federal government for this very routine approval called a subsection 56-1 exemption. So 
someone holding a subsection 56.1 exemption for research would have a particular licensed dealer named in their exemption, and they would be able to purchase a defined amount of a controlled substance from that dealer. There's been another much more impactful, uh, at least in my view, uh, subsection 56.1 uh, context. And I think I, it'd be great if we could hear from Spencer on that one. Um, and that's the exemptions that Theracil has helped uh, healthcare practitioners as well as patients uh, have issued to them to possess and use but I would say not access psilocybin for therapeutic purposes. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to the access in one second, but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the section 56 for the, if we can just think in real simple terms, like what is the purpose of it is it gives the patients and doctors and therapists the ease of mind that they're not going to be prosecuted for taking psilocybin um, or using it with their patients. Uh, which is obviously important. Um, there's, you know, there's underground work going on for sure, but that's different, right? As a therapist, as a healthcare practitioner, as a patient, you can't really do good work knowing that what you're doing is illegal and could be prosecuted for. Um, so having the, you know, the privilege of a Section 56 application allows for greater patient safety um, and for us to be quite open and public about what's going on. So it's really good for everyone. Um, that being said, it is still in some ways controlled because there are limitations to those Section 56s. Uh, so I guess the, the thing we're trying to figure out now or perhaps where the Section 56s are lacking and certainly where this conversation will need to go is on the supply side um, because the Section 56s and what was requested and similar to the way that these were made for cannabis back in the day, uh, back in the early 2000s, is that uh, we were to remain silent. You know, we're just asking for the permission to uh, you know, get psilocybin um, from wherever that is and whether that's, you know, uh, the, you know, your dealer on the street or from a website or from wherever um, it, the purpose is that it's, or the point is that it's, it's remained silent. So in order to really have access, and that's why you know, the word access, I almost don't think to, to use it because it's really just exemption. It's not full access. And this is the next thing that we've got to fix here is, is patients and doctors should have regulated access to a substance that they can be sure is safe because, you know, I don't think the purposes, there are people in Canada with licenses to grow psilocybin mushrooms, to synthesize psilocybin from mushrooms or create synthetic psilocybin, um, all of which is, or many of them, GMP certified and, and used in, in some research studies. Why not make that available to doctors and patients and specifically for, you know, organic mushrooms? This is a substance that's been used in humans uh, you know, traditionally uh, for, for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, I, I agree. The next step uh, at playing out much like it did with cannabis in the late 90s, um, to me, would be to in, institutionalize access and, and provide a regulated supply or for people who are confident that they have the ability to do it, um, personal cultivation. Now, of course, Anytime you have a country with laws that are directed by UN conventions and, and social motivations to keep controlled substances out of the hands of the general population, that has to be respected. Uh, and, and it makes sense to put appropriate constraints on things. But in principle, there's no reason that a system not unlike the system for medical cannabis access, which has 
a consumer packaged goods component, but also a personal cultivation component to it. There's no reason that could not work for psilocybin if there's the political appetite and if that's what's best for Canadians. Spencer, what do you see as the next, uh, what's next in the, in the space um, in terms of uh, legalization, in terms of acceptance by the regulators? Well, that's a good question. I mean, at the moment, you know, on the ground where patients are trying to get access, where therapists are trying or seeking education, um, Section 56 is already becoming quite clunky. Um, and it's taking quite a bit of time for Health Canada and for the minister to get back with those applications and exemptions. Um, we've also got patients and therapists asking for synthetic supply because, again, for some people, organic mushrooms is not the right thing. It can cause upset stomach um, and it's taking away from their experience and, and from them actually getting the therapeutic benefits of, of psilocybin. Um, so it's it's kind of converging again on, on a couple different things, one of which is certainly supply. Where do we get our supply from? Um, another one is Section 56 is a bit clunky. Um, and and I think that that's a natural thing. It's we're now running into questions, right? I've, uh, we've got some patients, or there are some clients that are palliative and others uh, that are now in remission for their cancer. Yet the, to the doctor and therapist, you know, what does it matter whether or not they're, they're actually still dying or not? Um, their symptoms are the same, right? The condition is the same. Um, the, the end of life distress is the same and, and the solution is still there and it's working. Why not apply that to, uh, you know, someone who, who isn't palliative? And then similarly, we're going to see situations where people with anxiety and depression um, are saying, well, if, if people at end of life are having their anxiety and depression cured by psilocybin or are treated by psilocybin, why don't I have access, especially those with suicidal ideations um, and, and those, as I was commenting, um, who are getting access to MAID now, like those with cluster headaches. Um, so I think you can expect to see, you know, a uh, certainly more people seeking Section 56 access. And as that happens, we're going to have to question is, is, you know, the current system we have through Section 56 is that robust enough to handle the increase in applications and in, in patients seeking support? And similarly, does it do any justice to the amount of education um, and, and, and training needed by healthcare practitioners? Terrific. David, did you want to add something there? Uh, no, I, I, I guess just a reminder to the audience that you can't really say we have a medical access system in Canada, the the subsection 56.1 exemptions are completely ad hoc. They're each one is assessed on its own merits, and and unlike cannabis, where the physician makes the choice, like once a physician writes a medical access document, then then it works. The person can access it. In in this case, the Minister of Health makes the choice on each one. I would really support uh, a more predictable access system to the extent we're going to continue to uh, to do this. And, and it's something that I think it makes sense to, because from what I hear from from Spencer and the people Theracil, it makes a massive, massive difference. And uh, and if we can do this now, then I, I to me, the outcome is that more people get help and get relief. And in what I would think, even in a regulated system, in a quite a cost-effective way. That's great. And I think that's a great way to end. And I really want to thank our, our guests today, David Wood and Spencer Oxwell. I think that we had a great discussion and thanks a lot.
You've been listening to Microdosing with Seifmans. Join us for our next episode, Financing, What Investors Are Looking For and How to Stand Out, with guest Henri Sancassia, founding partner of The Conscious Fund, and Patrick Moore, CEO of Microdose. Have questions or want to learn more? Contact us direct at info at